0: You are on The Grid, episode one of our podcast here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thanks for joining us. Let's get straight into it. The Mirror of Adelaide joins us, and what <laughs> a great weekend he had last weekend at the Shannon's Nationals at Talon. Ben, the brand-new track here in Australia. It was fantastic, Krause. Good day to you, and what a great weekend we had there last weekend.
1: Yeah, hello, Shebex. Nice to be with you. What a, a momentous weekend, I thought, not just for, for South Australia, but for the state um, and for the country as a whole, for motorsport here to... Have that level of private investment in the sport um it's been done without an enormous government funding input it's been done by people passionate about making something unbelievably great um and to to progress the sport and to grow the sport and i, I think it will do that terrific weekend it was incredible to be part of and, and i've been fortunate enough to know the people developing it and to not necessarily be involved with the journey but have followed it maybe a little bit closer than others have been able to and Um, To be there on what is essentially ground zero on the very first major race meeting at that event was a a huge honour and um, something we'll all look back on fondly because the place is going to change dramatically even six months from now when we return for the supercars, let alone well into the future but yeah very cool moment for the sport i think
0: uh, no doubt about it and actually an interesting situation for sam shahin of course one of the owners who's going to find himself at phillip island next weekend or this weekend mm. coming up for the shannon's nationals uh, sorry for the supercars round but he'll also have another race on it, Taylor and bennett's the uh, round of the world uh, the australian Superbikes are there so it's going to be interesting because i'm sure his mind is going to be in two different places
1: yeah, it will, but it'll be tempered by the fact that he won the Pro Am Plus in GD3 Cup Challenge on the weekend, yeah, so um, he uh, he was able to stand on what is quite literally his own podium uh, yeah. on that weekend, which was just extraordinary. Um, yeah, it, it's, yeah, obviously a tough ask now that he's going to be away racing and um, their second major event, which will be Australian Superbikes. and. The Asian Road Racing Championships will be there as well. Um, obviously, that's a, a bit of a conflict, but um, he's got plenty of people that to run the facility. So, um, yeah, terrific, terrific weekend. And, uh, yeah, it was appropriate that he was able to have some success in the Porsche uh, at his own racetrack on its first ever race meeting. And I'll never be able to take that away from him.
0: No, exactly. And let, let's just... Finally, focus again on Tail and Bend before we look at the racing. Uh, just some of the initiatives that have been done at Tail and Bend are absolutely amazing. And, and the one that struck me as being uh, the the best initiative and has to win an award from the government, a, a green award or something, because there is no power to the flag marshalling areas around the, the course, all of a sudden they've come up with wind turbines and solar mm. power to batteries. So these guys have got power on the 4.9 kilometer track and also the 7.7. Just amazing stuff.
1: Yeah, it, it's just smart thinking. There's little details everywhere that uh, I've not seen anywhere else, but there's also an ability to adapt and to learn and a willingness to learn. For example, teams rocked up on uh, Thursday. They they bedded into the garages, and those teams that were doing pit stops noticed that there's nowhere for them to strap their air bottles to the front of the garages. Yeah. They have to be strapped down. They have to be secured during a pit stop. So overnight the operations team drilled into the walls, put some eyelets in so that they could run the ratchet straps in. So that won't now be a drama for any race in the future, but it just happened like that overnight. Bang, done. Similar at the back of the garage, there was nowhere for teams to run cabling from their garage across to their transporters. So they drilled holes in the back of the walls to run the cables out and put some hooks in to secure them. Just happened straight away. This will happen over the course of the next six months as they learn and they get up to speed and, But, yeah, it's well-resourced. It's well thought out. The whole complex is immense. Even the grandstands, for example, there's three stands on the run-up to Turn 1, another one on the run-down into Turn 17, and there's more to come. They've been protected. So the grandstands at Turn 1 are fully closed in, so you don't get buffeted and blown around by the crosswinds that come across that way because they back into the west, which is the prevailing wind direction now at Tail and Bend. So just little... Thoughtful details like that that are all going to come together to make a really cohesive whole as this track develops and everything beds down.
0: There's some great racing there over the weekend, including some really, really talented young kids starting to make their way up the Porsche pyramid in the GT3 Cup Challenge.
1: Yeah, Porsche racing in Australia is in terrific shape at the moment. Sheveks, and you and I know that, because we're fortunate enough to call a lot of their racing over the course of the year. But Carrera Cup's in, in rude health with the new car and some amazing talent young guys up coming through and supercar guys that are involved as well but from a, a cup challenge level there are a seven really young guys and girls in that category that are doing an amazing job and and big fields 27 cars on the weekend biggest field since 2010 in that championship but we saw on Sunday afternoon I, I think one of the best Porsche races in Australia full stop in any category we've seen in a couple of years with a couple of teenagers Max Vidal and Cooper Murray going at it wheel to wheel they swapped the lead half a dozen times in the race so uh Side-by-side, side, wheel-to-wheel, incredible car control from two graduates from Australian Formula Ford. And then just behind that, you had Jimmy Vernon and Simon Fallon and Lewis Leeds scrapping over third place. Um, Chelsea Angelo was right in the mix. She's really promising. Looks like she's going to have a great year. She's got to get her starts right and she'll be fine. Um, and the list goes on. So, yeah, it's in great shape. Porsche racing. Um, and and they're setting up this ladder system so these young drivers can come up through the ranks D3 Cup Challenge into Carrera Cup and then follow the Matt Campbell path overseas, ideally.
0: Also for you, mate, some uh, great racing in the Prototype Series as well.
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting category, Shebex, that I think is going to grow in significance in Australia because it is internationally relevant. They're cars that you can race all the way around the world and more of them are coming. So um, terrific, close competition. The weekend was won by Peter Padden in a Radical, but uh, we had JP Drake, in his Wolf GB08 prototype that finished second. Darren Barlow won two races in his store. Three different types of cars produce their speed differently. It's a bit like GP3 racing with all the different brands at the front. But this series is internationally relevant because you can drive, for example, the West that finished second, you can drive that in ELMS or the V2V series in Europe or Asian Le Mans. So it's relevant internationally, and it's, it's great that Australia's now got a series leaning in that direction it's not there yet there's a lot of development to come but it wouldn't surprise me if in two or three years time we don't start seeing some L N 3 cars come into that category um which will just add to its prestige but very cool racing very, very cool racing between those cars and some pretty aggressive drivers as well. Yeah,
0: it certainly is. Uh, Krause, before we talk Formula One, let's have a quick listen with thanks to Fox Sports. Five of the most amazing, or well, four of the most amazing, one was easy, the one for past Verstappen, because he messed it up himself, but four of the most amazing overtaking moves you'll see in Formula One in someone's career, let alone in one race. Here's Daniel Ricciardo and what happened in the Chinese Grand Prix.
2: Under the safety car. Here goes, goes Ricardo now. Maybe he doesn't need DRS. He's got past Raikkonen. Can he make it stick into the hairpin? There he goes again. Daniel Ricardo, late breaking, gets past Kimi Raikkonen. And not for the first time in his career either. Ricardo is up into fifth place. They did very well to make the apex of the hairpin coming in that late. That's how much
1: more grip the Red Bull's got.
2: Look, it's just driving out of the corner. You'll not get around the outside of there, though. Very nearly. uh, Well, will he? Well, they're very nearly. They touch again. Verstappen, in his eagerness to get past Lewis Hamilton, has lost out to his teammate Daniel Ricciardo. He runs off the road. Should Verstappen just have bided his time a little bit there? Red Bull is is within touching distance if he puts one little foot wrong. Gaining down that back straight. Ricardo goes for it from a long way back. This would be sensational if he makes it. And do you know what? He has made it. Daniel Ricardo came from absolutely nowhere and deserves not only a round of applause but a standing ovation from that carriage. He is up into the podium places. There's no stopping him at times. Sebastian Fettel did lead, he is currently second. Daniel Ricardo will one stage, look well out of this race. He's this close. He's much closer than he was to Hamilton. I oh, think he's got the slip. He's going, he's going, he's going, and Sebastian Vettel is gone! Daniel Ricciardo is up into second place! But from his teammate Daniel Ricciardo, he hasn't put a foot wrong yet. That right rear of Bottas' looks even worse here now here we go Bottas covers go. it off but he can't cover it off totally Ricardo somehow finds a gap there and Valtteri Bottas gave him enough respect and enough room and he squeezed through Daniel Ricardo to take the lead of the Chinese Grand Prix he's gone from sixth to first surely there wasn't any room oh yes there was
0: well out of those uh moves Crowley what was your favorite
1: uh, I liked them all. I liked all of them. I, I really liked the move on Hamilton because he didn't see it coming, did he? No. Um, and it was just, so late. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a drive. Um, I mean, Dan Dan got lucky and, and he paid due compliment to his team who nailed the strategy and they pitted both of the Red Bulls under that safety car. So they had fresh rubber for the sprint, uh, sprint to the end. So they sacrificed some track position on the basis that they'd have more speed. And did they ever? Um, yeah. Yeah. In the end, you've got to make the move, yeah, and that's that's what he did. Um, Verstappen trod on it by KOing a Ferrari, so he lost he lost ground that just added to the impetus, and then he carved his way through the field and and then managed the lead after that to bring it home and win the race. It was a terrific drive, clearly the best in his career, and I think it comes at a timely moment as well for Dan because he's the probably the key piece in the puzzle of the, the silly season this year. We don't know where he's going to land he doesn't know where he's going to land. He was pretty early uh, in the piece at the Australian Grand Prix. He said, I'm just going to put all these talks on hold. I want to get it out of the media. I don't really want to talk about where I'm going to end up because it's too early, but it is going to be the discussion point. That certainly did him no harm whatsoever from a racer's race to drive like that. He reminds me a bit of Garth Tander in the supercars is that he he might not have that outright last half a half a tenth of raw speed and especially compared to Verstappen, but he's the ultimate racer. If you mm. had to go in that Formula One paddock, who would you have to race for your life? You, you'd have to go Ricardo, yeah. surely, because he just does this time and time again. Every Grand Prix he's won, there's been a fight like that one. No,
0: it's, it is a, a fair call. And have you ever seen a, a pair of sadder faces on a podium <laughs> than that of Vettel and Bodas uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. That was amazing. Yeah
1: uh yeah yeah i don't have a lot of sympathy for them not gonna lie to you shemex um but i think dan just any podium he's on he makes other people look sad even if they're actually quite happy with second and third he's the last great showman i reckon in the sport you know hamilton's brilliant he's got this social media persona but ricardo is one of those few that actually calls it like it is he lets his emotions show when he needs to he doesn't roll the pr line um as he says he uh he licks the stamp and sends it and gets the results, which is just awesome to see. Yeah, testicle Tuesday, I think he called it, even though <laughs> yeah, it was a what, Sunday. Yeah, what a thing. Go I figure. don't even get that reference, but I love it. <laughs> Neither do I, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, you've got 30 seconds to give me quick tips for supercars and uh, Porsche Wilson Security Carrera Cup on the weekend.
1: Well, Carrera Cup will continue. It's unbelievably good racing. The pressure's probably on Jackson Evans just to continue his form, looking to be just the third driver in history to win three, uh, win four rounds in a row. In supercars, while we'll look to watch the competitive balance between the Commodore and the Falcons, the DJR team, Penske ones in particular, a massive rebound needed from Tickford Racing and Nissan Motorsport. Out of their eight cars, they had one, one singular top-ten yeah. finish from the whole weekend in Tasmania, Not which to me isn't good enough. So they need to improve at Phillip Island.
0: Whackety-whack-whack-whack. Whack, whack. I'll see you down there, mate. Have a great week. See you, brother. Richard Quayle joining us here on The Grid. All right, time to catch up and talk motorbikes. And when we do that, we do that, of course, with our mate, Mark Brax. Good Good to you, Braxy.
3: G'day, um, Good to talk to you again. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, it has been. Mate. It's uh, been all of 2018. And uh, there's so much to catch up on. Let's talk MotoGP first. And to you, has there been some good racing the last few races?
3: Oh, mate, it's what um, it's, like I've said to a few people. that um, At the end of every year, you think, is it going to get any better? Because the last few years have just been, you know, the level's been up again. And uh, we came into this season wondering what was it, what was it going to be like. Like, Mark Cathy's won uh, four championships in six years, so he's on the, he's on the form. But, um, you know, what, how the season started is just, um, well, it's going to be another monumental season, especially after we, what we saw in Argentina 10 days ago. But um, we've had two rounds. Um, the flyaway rounds, we've uh, been in Qatar for the traditional opening of the season under lights there on the edge of the desert where uh, Andrea De break through, as to be expected I suppose, because the straight over there is over a uh, kilometre long so the, the mumbo of the Ducati always comes to the fore uh, and he's um, the runner-up from 2017 when, after that monumental battle with um, Mark Marquez in the, that went down to the wire at Valencia uh, where, well, the team orders of Ducati didn't uh, Lorenzo didn't read his board way back then, but uh, Saavedra so has been on form in all through the off season, uh, and it's just showing that uh, this year could be uh, Ducati's year. He's uh, in pretty good form at the moment. Like you said, he won that first race uh, from Mark Marquez in second position, and then in third position was uh, the evergreen Valentino Rossi, who uh, celebrated his. Um, Thirty birthday on the eve of the championship on sixteenth of uh, February, and uh, at the Qatar round, uh, decided that he's still good enough to go and uh, have another round for another couple of years with Yamaha. So we, uh, I've got this theory that he's going to retire when he's forty six.
0: No, well, why not? That's a good number. <laughs> well,
3: it is. That's it's been number. pretty good to him in the past, hasn't
0: <laughs> it? Exactly. Hey, uh, and then from there we went to, of course, the uh, the very wet Argentina Moto MotoGP. Uh, wet for qualifying and. Great news, Jack Miller, getting himself on pole.
3: Yeah, it was a, a big ballsy effort from Jack to do that. Uh, very sketchy conditions. It's been like that for a couple of years at this time of the year in Argentina where it's been wet and dry and everywhere in between. And the qualifying session uh, in the last few years, it's now that 15-minute you know balls-out session to get it there. Uh, it was a drying track. It's not. It was still wet, but uh, Jack elected to put the slicks on and put in a, oh, a monumental performance there at um, to the get pole position in that um, wet-dry wet, qualifying session and put himself in pole in his first, um, well, his second ride for the Pramac Ducati team. So he's uh, ticked another one off the box he's, um, to put to his win that he had from Assen in 2016. So uh, he put it on pole, but then um, it all went to, um, well, it started raining just on the eve of the uh, the... Part of me the race itself i think moto three was wet moto two was dry and then it rained just before the start of the moto gp race but was drying out again and uh then uh jack was yeah well there was a couple of others but jack was the main one he just elected to go under slick tires to start the race everybody else was on wet tires and that's where, well, to tell you the truth, mate, Jack got shafted in that race because mm. if the rules have been set, as you know, uh, Shebex, they declared it a wet race, so it's up to you to come in and change tyres when you feel fitting to it. Um, and Jack should have had a, you know, a, a, at least a one-lap lead over the rest of the field if they did it the right way. But uh, I think um, the powers of B lost the plot slightly and they were dicta- dictated to by the riders and the teams who... Uh, basically pushed all their bikes off the grid and headed back to the pits for half an hour, which left Jack uh, with one of the most bizarre scenes. Uh, yeah. Well, it was two bizarre scenes, actually, Tone. The first one was him sitting on the grid all by himself with his team. <laughs> and then uh, 20 minutes later, when they all came back out onto the grid, um, instead of the um, starting from pit lane, which they were meant to do like they did at Saxon Ring in 2016, because of the uh, well, the critical nature of starting that and how uh, manic these guys are at the start of a race, it's bad enough on a grid, let alone coming out of pit lane, um, they decided to push them back three rows behind Jack, which was uh, was seen, bizarre scene number two of the weekend with Jack selling like a shag on a rock up the front of the grid and uh, the rest of the field all now on slick tyres at the back of the grid, which um, was um, detrimental to Jack's cause because... Um, I'm sure you and a lot of other people would have thought, hang on, just get the race underway yeah. and let Jack um, go and head for his um, first win on the G Wasn't meant to be. He got um, hounded down. But then, well, even before the start of the race, uh, Mark uh he got pinged for, well, he bumped started his bike on the grid because it stalled. And then he had to hide to uh, go right against the rules and turn the bike around and ride down the, the track the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. That was weird. Yep, that incurred the, the wrath of the officials who made him come in for a drive book through penalty, which pushed him back to 18th position as the uh, rest of the field went their merry way. Um, you know, Jack was up there with Cal Crutchlow, uh, Yohan Zarco, uh, who else was in there? Danny Pedrosa for a while until Zako punted him off the track and Danny's just gone through uh, wrist surgery in Barcelona. Uh, there was also Mark Marquez was up there until he came in for his uh, drive-through penalty on uh, I think it was the third or fourth lap that he dropped way back down to about uh, 18th position and he just turned into a a maniac after that one where he uh, skied his way through the field and used everybody as a bit of a berm to get to the front Uh, and he took out um, Alicia Spargrove, punted him wide which included the wrath of the officials for his third offence in the one race where he had the he dropped back a place to let Espargra go back in in front of him, but then that happened so then he, he got the bit between his teeth and um, took off again and then hit uh, Valentino Rossi going into a corner and I don't know if you've seen the race, Shebeks, but if um, Rossi wasn't there, Marquette would have just gone straight off no, into correct. the
0: weeds. Yeah.
3: Unfortunately uh, it was Rossi that went off into the weeds and uh, he crashed out managed to get the bike up because it was a pretty slow crash, got the bike going again. He finished the race in, um, I think it was 18th position. And as such, uh, because of those, that incident, Marquez was penalised 30 seconds at the end of the race, which put him back out of the points as well, just in front of Valentino. So um, we thought there was a bit of controversy after Sepang 2015 when uh, a similar thing happened between the pair. And uh, if we thought that was a bit of a uh, Hollywood drama, I think we've gone into the uh, Shakespearean drama <laughs> for the rest of the year between uh, Rossi and Marquette because now it is full on. Uh, Marquette came down with uh, his team manager or his personal manager, uh, uh, El Zamora, and also the team manager, Alberto Pooge, to uh, get into the garage. And bizarrely, a couple of the Yamaha guys actually lifted the barriers up they let him in and then Lynn Jarvis, the head of Yamaha Racing Europe, and uh, Valentino's, well, I'll say his best mate, Uchi, I'll come up and basically told him to get out of the garage very quickly. So, And then the post-race interviews, man, um, yeah. it really took another turn, which in turn took away a lot of the gloss of what was a great race by Cal Crutchlow to win the race after all that.
0: Uh, um, very true. A great effort and, by uh, him. He-
3: Yeah, he won the race from Zarco, and with, um, I can't even remember who comes third, Jack was fourth. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a very, very bizarre turn of events. With a Divisioso who was leading the championship, he's ended up in um, uh, fifth, sixth position. So it was, uh, Alex, how did I forget that, in third position, his first podium for the uh, Suzuki team and his first podium in the MotoGP ranks. Maverick Vinales was fifth and uh, Andrea DiVicioso sixth. And uh, as such, for the first time since Barry Sheen, we have an Englishman leading the uh, World Championship, the MotoGP class. Yeah, isn't that amazing? On, uh, 38, 38 points in, and five points in front of uh, Andrea DiVicioso on uh, Cal Crutchlow's race number, number 35. That is so ups- he's got 35 points and uh, the rest of them off the pace a little bit. But... Uh, I tell you what, uh, we're going to see um, some monumental action in the next, well, it comes to life in uh, this weekend, actually, at uh, the Austin. Uh, they'll be down there for, uh, I think that's about the sixth visit to uh, yeah. Austin. So um, I'll just go through the points again with Crutts on 38, DeBizio so 35, Zarco on 28, and uh, Miller now in sixth position on 19 points. But we've got to go right back to uh, where Rossi is in 8th position, Marquez in 5th position on 20 points. So, uh, and Marquez has never been beaten in any race, Moto 3, Moto 2 or Moto GP at Austin. But I reckon there's going to be some fireworks in uh, free practice one just to uh, ruffle a few feathers, I reckon.
0: Very much look forward to that, Braxy. before we let you go, mate, we should also mention the Australian Superbikes and how great it is to have Troilus, uh, Troy Bayless back on a bike here in Australia. And now uh, how they head off to Talem Bend for the first time uh, this weekend.
3: Yeah, a bit of history there for the ASBK to be the first major, well, two-wheel event. I know you were there last weekend with the Shannon's Nationals. Hopefully you put some rubber down for the lads. But um, yeah, they've been there for a test. But uh, at the moment, we've got uh, Troy Herfoss leading the championship from 10 points on his Honda from uh, Josh Waters in second. Wayne Maxwell in third position, who um, Maxwell and Herfoss split the wins in Wakefield Park at the last round a few weeks ago. And the man you just mentioned, Troy Bayless, in fourth position. And I reckon on an equal playing field, mate, and uh, after he had a few things sorted out on the Ducati with Troy Corsa taking the bike for a few runs at the International Festival of Speed a couple of weeks ago at Eastern Creek, I wouldn't be surprised to see the the old boy back on the podium again.
0: Wouldn't that be fantastic? Braxy, always great to talk to you, mate. We'll do it again uh, over the next few uh, weeks.
3: Just a a quick one uh, in a serious note. Shebex, Ivan Major, the multiple speedway world champion, passed away today after a long illness and complications uh, with uh, surgery that he went into the hospital for and unfortunately never came back. But uh, all thoughts and condolences to his family and uh, all the Speedway fans around the world, the man that actually put Speedway racing on the map in the modern era and uh, rest in peace for that great Kiwi.
0: Yeah, very much so, Braxy. Thanks for your time, buddy, as always.
3: Speak to you soon, mate. Look forward to it.
0: Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. right time to finish off the program catching up with a man who's been driving pretty well in 2018 including and very much so the uh, round of supercars down in tasmania last weekend a very good day to jack lebrock g'day jack
4: yeah honey how are you going
0: mate i'm fantastic uh, first of all congratulations on tassie uh, you must have come out of that uh, round and come back home with so much confidence in you
4: yeah tassie was an awesome round for us as a I suppose a bit of a breakthrough for us and it was one of those confidence boosters that we, uh, we probably needed after the first couple of rounds. It's, uh, yeah, coming a good time for everyone on the team and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great result for us. We uh, changed up quite a few things before we went into the weekend and, uh, yeah, so I suppose all those little boxes that we um, we tried to tick early on the weekend have paid off. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things just, it's got to be able to keep momentum rolling now.
0: As we know, at the top end of motor racing, supercars no exception. Qualifying pace is one thing; race pace is a totally different thing. I suppose the pleasing thing for you and the team was that you had both.
4: Yeah, hundred percent. We uh, we, uh, we had quite good qualifying speed, and we sort of knew our one lap speed was probably going to be okay from um, the start of the weekend, first couple of sessions. We then um, probably did the best job in. Um, practice on Friday with our green tyres, so that was positive, but uh, like you saying to be able to back it up in the race, it was sort of a bit of an unknown for us, we, um, it's one of those things you don't really do, stems that long in practice, and um, yeah, it was, it was great to be able to back that back that up um, on Saturday, and then um, yeah, even do a better job of it on Sunday, just looking after those tyres, and trying to make um, as little mistakes as possible, so uh, yeah, it was uh, positives all around.
0: Those, uh, those new qualifying sessions were quite amazing, actually. They uh, kept everyone fairly uh, engrossed over the, the 20 or the minutes or half an hour that it actually happened. Uh, your thoughts on it, and I suppose also the fact that because you started in Q1 and went all the way to the Q3, I'd like to know your thoughts on being in that position, because to me it seemed to yourself and Garth Tander both just totally ran out of tyres by the time you got to that final qualifying session.
4: Yeah, it was, um, yeah it, was, it was pretty interesting. We probably didn't expect to get all the way to the end, uh, especially on the Saturday, but uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. We, we put down a pretty good time um, in Q2 on Saturday and it left us P5 um, at the end of that 16. So uh, yeah, that was pretty positive and I reckon it's a, it's a really cool concept. It sort of spices it up and puts some pressure back on the teams and us drivers to make sure we do a good job and actually chase I suppose outright pace um, on Fridays. So uh, yeah, that was, um, that was really exciting. And, uh, yeah, like you say, to be involved in all three of those was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool to, to try and, I suppose, do, do the best job we can on each of those laps and, I suppose, put a bit more pressure back on us drivers to make sure that we, we maximise each time we're out on track.
0: And that pressure, did that come sort of in the uh, in the, the form of adrenaline as well? Because normally in a qualifying session, you go out there, do what you do, whatever you get. If you're 19th or 22nd, if you're 4th, that's what you've got. But for you, you just kept on going into the next one and going into the next one. What was that like as a driver?
4: Yeah, it's one of those things. It's st- suppose in a normal qualifying session. You're still throwing tyre after tyre at it, but I suppose that... It added that little bit of um, extra pressure on, onto us with every set of tyres put on the car, it counted. We, if we made a mistake, we couldn't say, Oh, well, we'll come in, we'll uh, throw another set at and have another go. So, uh, from that side, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. I suppose it, it felt like a little bit like we're back at the Grand Prix, where we had, um, yeah, each session was um, really counted there. But, uh, yeah, no, it was pretty exciting. I think, um, yeah, most of the guys up and down the field probably enjoyed it.
0: Jack, for yourself, you've followed a fairly traditional entry into supercars, uh, carts into Formula 4, GT into Super 2s, and now up into supercars in 2018. Tell us about your road for the past 10 or so years uh, to where you've got to now. Yeah, it's been
4: pretty pretty up and down. We've had um, pretty exciting years along the way, and uh, back in uh, 2011... Uh, for, for checking the Australian Four Championship and then back that up in 2012 uh, by winning it. Uh, from there, it was a little bit grim for us. 2013, we started the year, we didn't have a whole lot happening and uh, that's when uh, Betty and Everest Motorsport Mary Ryan sort of came onto the scene and uh, they helped us out a lot and uh, been able to get us back on track with a couple of former three races, which then led into uh, the GT stuff um, as well as a few other things along the way and uh, yeah, I suppose from there, that relationship blossomed into um, helping me out through the Dunlop series and uh, my first uh, co-drive um, alongside Ash Walsh back in uh, 2015. So, uh, yeah, that, that was all pretty exciting. And, uh well, yeah, we did four years of the Dunlop series, um, plenty of miles there. And it's one of those things that The more miles we can do in supercars. Um, it's great. So that's why the that series uh, really probably served its purpose. And, uh, yeah, gave us a good understanding of what, I suppose, what we need to do and how we're going to go about stepping into the main game. Uh so, yeah, it's been a pretty sorry, uh, long road for us. But, um, yeah, it's good to finally have the opportunity to have a go in the main game. And, yeah, now we've got to keep uh, getting those good results and uh, proving that we deserve a spot
0: here. The year in 2016 was quite an interesting one. It was the year you joined ProDrive uh, and you had seven wins for the year, which was a fantastic effort in itself, but only second in the championship behind uh, your teammate in Gary Jacobson. Uh, There's a little bit of heartbreak there, if I remember right.
4: Yeah, it was one of those years where I was, uh, learned a lot from that. Uh, we probably had uh, the, the best speed most of the year and uh, we walked away with the most wins and most poles throughout the season but one of those things, I, I probably pushed on a little bit too hard at times and made some silly mistakes along the way and that's uh, something that I learned a lot from um, in that year and it's probably a good um, turning point for me um, to basically I understand there's a bigger picture than going for every single race win um, that you can. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit disappointing that we uh, didn't, didn't get that after the speed we had uh, throughout the year. But, um, yeah, no, it was a great result still to still rack up those race wins and pole positions along the way. A
0: couple of uh, drives last year in 2017 in the Nissan Altima as wild cards in the supercars calendar. How much did that get you ready and how much did that sort of give you a little bit of an insight into what to expect in 2018?
4: Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was one of those opportunities you don't don't get every day of the week, and uh, yeah, we're lucky about a piece, a, um, a bunch together to be able to complete two of them um, with uh, alongside Maddie White and Mr Motorsport there. And, yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome. We, it uh, just gives you the opportunity to, to know where it's at. So from from the Dunlop series stepping into the main game is um, a massive thing, and even stepping up as a co-driver um, is, is a massive step alone. So um, yeah, to do um, do all of that. Um, in the the one year was uh, yeah it was pretty cool and learned a lot from that and definitely helped this I suppose helped me understand what I need to do and how I need to prepare myself um, come out of late this year. I
0: suppose you're one of the few drivers around as well that sort of had the opportunity to drive pretty much current spec Falcon, Nissan, and now a Holden.
4: Yeah, I've um, yeah driven plenty of different cars over the last uh, few years, and um, it's one of those things. I don't think I've gone year to year driving exactly exact same supercar so um, at some stage that would be nice and probably make life a little bit easier because the cars are very different um, with the way the teams go about setting them up Um, so yeah it's one of those things we get a few more rounds into this year it's going to be good for myself to to keep learning how AAA go about setting up their cars and um, they're working with the guys at Techno to to keep uh, moving forward and progressing them.
0: Explain to us the relationship, Jack, that you have with your manager, David Siegel. We are a good mate of ours, and uh, drivers. a lot of drivers have managers. A lot of drivers choose to self-manage. The advantages for you in having David look after you?
4: Yeah, David. Uh, yeah, it's great. We've uh, got a really good relationship, and we've um, yeah, been working with each other since the start of 2015, so we've been through a few highs and lows together, and... Uh, yeah, it's very cool to um, be working alongside him. It's one of those things that I don't have, um, I suppose, the uh, the, back, the contact of um, contact I need to do, I suppose, to have to be able to break into the main game. You don't know the, the role in Baines, the, the Tim Edwards at the time and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, to have someone like David who knows everyone up and down pit lane is a massive thing for, for us and um, it just helps piece together the big puzzle. Yeah not as simple as um, going out and winning races these days, and that's enough to, to be picked up straight out of the Dunlop series. You've got to put the other bits and pieces together. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's been great so far, and I'm uh, looking forward to many more years with David.
0: Heading down to Phillip Island uh, for this weekend, uh, the fourth round. Gee, I was going to say third round, but I nearly forgot the AGP has <laughs> finally won. Uh, the fourth round of supercars for 2018. On the improve, as we said, with Tasmania. Techno have had a, a few years now to, to get... It uh, right down at uh, down at uh, Phillip Island. How do you think it's all going to go this weekend?
4: Uh, it's, I'm not sure. It's one of those things. Oh, I'm quite confident uh, down Phillip Island. It's probably one of my favourite circuits on the calendar, and I've always had a uh, pretty good success there. But um, yeah, it's and you've got taken down a new um, yeah, the ZB Commodore. It's probably going to react a little bit differently compared to what the VF. Um, was like, so uh, yeah I'm sure we'll get our head around it pretty quickly, we've got a couple of practice sessions there and we um, yeah, pretty confident we can uh, get on top of it um, fairly quickly and uh, yeah, hopefully we can just back up some more good results and if we can get in around the, the 10 again then um, I think everyone will be pretty happy
0: It's a pretty tricky uh, schedule after that for the next few races after Phillip Island Barbagallo, Winton and Hidden Valley, sort of tracks where you really need to qualify extremely well otherwise they can be long days
4: yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think the next few rounds are going to be massive for, for qualifying. There's not heaps of uh, passing opportunities um, at a lot of these places, like you say. So, uh, yeah, something that I've been working quite hard on. So it's my qualifying. It hasn't been my strongest um, part of my driving um, in the past. So, uh, yeah, that's um, something we'll work hard on um, as a team and um, make sure we get that right and um, yeah, kind of give ourselves the best chance possible to have a good result.
0: Uh, Working with Techno, that means that you've made the move to the Gold Coast on a full-time basis or are you splitting your time between there and Melbourne?
4: Yeah, I'm in Gold Coast now, so uh, yeah, it's great. It's good being near the team. It gives me an opportunity to
1: build that relationship
4: with all the guys there and I think that's uh, very important to um, know and trust the guys around you. So um, yeah, it's been a good move so far.
0: You can think of worse places to live.
4: Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually looking forward to the winter up here. It's going to be nice. I'm sure you
0: are. Hey, Jack, thanks so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. I know you're making your way back from what was a uh, a good weekend down at, oh, I should ask you too, about uh, Tail and Bend, one of the uh, the first drivers to step out on the track. What were your thoughts?
4: Yeah, it was, it was a very cool place. It was uh, probably a little bit dusty at times. with some severe weather and uh, wind going on then picked up a bit of... Um, dust and stuff around, but uh, yeah, it has the excitement of the circuit, I think it's going to be a pretty cool place when we get there um, later on in August, and I think it should provide some pretty cool racing, so uh, yeah, hanging out to get a Car around there is uh, enough fun in the, in the Sierra, um, so yeah, it was just hanging on the weekend, but uh, yeah, loved every moment.
0: Uh, just on that, uh, Jack, are you a historian of, uh, of supercars? I mean, do, do you realise the significance of driving around in something like that RS era that you had on the weekend? Uh,
4: yeah, I, I don't know a whole lot about the history of it all, but, uh, yeah, the guys filled me in um, over the weekend, and, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. I think it's only done 17 laps in, uh, at Bathurst before it uh, blew up back in 92, but... Um, yeah, it's funny, that car still got the original stickers and paint on it. Yeah. hasn't done a whole lot of miles. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I was very lucky to get the opportunity to drive it. And, uh, yeah, it was a great way to learn the circuit as
0: well. I'm pretty sure Colin Bond lives up on the Gold Coast as well, so if you see him in the streets, mate, I'm sure he'll have a chat to you about it.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, it'd be cool to catch up with him. I haven't met him before, so that'd be pretty awesome.
0: Good on you, mate. Appreciate your time, Jack. Thanks heaps, and look forward to catch up with you down at Phillip Island next weekend.
4: Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Tony. Cheers,
0: mate. Jack LeBrock joining us here on The Grid. That wraps up our first podcasted episode of On The Grid. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to Richard Crowell and also Braxy and Jack LeBrock for joining us as well. We'll do another episode next week where we wrap up Phillip Island and look forward to what is always a big week in motorsport right here on The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com.